0: Okay, so we are beginning now the first chapter of Tanya. Um, last week, we discussed the introduction to Tanya. We gave some Tanya background um, about the Baal Shem Tov, the Maggid of Mezrish, the Alter Rebbe, their disciple who writes the Tanya. And we talked also about the Hakdamas HaMalakit. He calls it the, um, the introduction of the compiler, right? We talked about the fact that the Alter Rebbe just looks at himself as a compiler of the words of Tanya. And he wrote that introduction where he discussed the difficulties of the written book and why it might not be personal, and yet how he has put the answers to our questions inside, and it's up to, lear, up to us to learn it and to understand it and to apply it, and we'll be able to find the answers to our questions in Avedas Hashem. Primarily, specifically, he said on the title page that he wants to explain a pasuk in the Torah. We mentioned the pasuk in Parshas Nitzavim, ki elecha That Ramash Shebenim tells the Jewish people that to serve Hashem verbally, emotionally, and in action is always within our grasp. It's always elecha. It's close to us. It's attainable. It's accessible. Not like what we sometimes think that it's, you know, so hard or whatever. And the Torah says that we're able. We're always able to serve Hashem. And the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, that he wants to explain that, how it's Karev, how it's in truth very close to every person. He added though, and I'm repeating this because it's going to be important in a moment, he added that he wants to explain it in a long and short way. And we explained last week that what that means is that sometimes there's shorter ways, shorter paths. There's paths of inspiration. A person can hear something very inspiring or be inspired and, and suddenly feel they're very close to Hashem. And that wasn't the way the Alter Rebbe is approached. That wasn't the approach of Hasidus, definitely not Hasidus of Chabad, which wanted us to try to deal with it in a more um, intellectual manner, a manner of study and understanding and connecting to it, so that the way might be a longer way, but ultimately more of a secure way and something that we can hold on to. And that's what he says he wants to do in the Sefer HaTanya. Um, And that brings us to Perik Aleph, the first chapter of the first section of Tanya. I mentioned the first section of Tanya. It's called Lukuti Amarim, 53 chapters. Um, And this is Perakal. So, being that Tanya is there to, to explain to us and help us understand how to serve Hashem and how it's always within our grasp, and he wants to do it in a more foundational way, like he said, the long, short way. So he doesn't start by telling us what to do or what not to do. The first number of chapters of Tanya really introduces us to how we work to our souls, to our soul, to our souls, and the inner workings of a person. And really, the Alter Rebbe is going to explain a number of ch- uh, spend a number of chapters on explaining us to ourselves. Um, sometimes we feel that we're a little bit crazy, and the Alter Rebbe is not necessarily going to argue with that, uh, but he's going to explain to us where that's coming from and what's going on within us. So the first thing he does in the first chapter is he wants to redefine some basic terminologies that were always around by Klal Yisrael. And we always talked about there's a tzaddik. Now, who's a tzaddik? What makes someone a tzaddik? Sadik tzaddik is a very, used it till today, and it was always used. There's a tzaddik. There's also the opposite of a tzaddik, which is the wicked person, known as the Rusha. And then we have in Chazal the benini. Benini literally means the one in the middle, you know the, you know, the middle of the road type of guy. So there's a tzaddik, there's a Russia, and there's a bainini. Um, in fact, as the al quotes in the first chapter from the Gemara, the Gemara really divides that into five categories, because the Gemara talks about a tzaddik vitovlo, tzaddik viralo, like the perfect tzaddik, the imperfect tzaddik, and then there's the bainini, you know, at the middle of the road, and then there's the rasha Vitovlo and rasha Viralo. A rasha that has some good to him and the rasha that's just bad. So, and this is a, straight out of a Gemara, that talks about these five levels of people. Again, the, the perfect tzaddik, the imperfect tzaddik, the benani, the um, the good Russia, if you will, and the bad Russia. So, and as I think I, mean, I remember, we also mentioned that Tanya said is being written specifically for the benani, for the middle person, the middle type of person. So, what do these definitions mean? What is the Pshat? What is when the the Gemara or the Medrash or the Zohar, when they talk about a Tzaddik, who are we talking about? When they talk about a Rasha and when they talk about a Benini. And that's really what the Altarevah focuses most of the first chapter on. Yes? Are these five categories for Jews? Yeah, this is all Jews. We're talking about Jews. So um, I'm I'm sure in some ways it might be applicable to non-Jews as well, but here we're focusing on Jews and the way it works for a Jew. So the typical... The rule of thumb, or the way people thought um, before Tanya, the, the non-Tanya approach, is that what makes someone a tzaddik if they do everything right, right? If you do all your, you check all your boxes, you do all your mitzvahs, and you don't do any of your averus, so you're a tzaddik. So if you go by that very sort of simplistic approach, so a tzaddik, the perfect person, is the one who does everything right. The Russia is one who does everything wrong, or almost everything wrong, and the Beni is half and half. He does some good things and does some bad things, does some mitzvahs, does some averis. Abeni would be the one some, somewhere in the middle. That would be, again, the, a typical, simple, simplistic approach of Yiddishkeit. If I'm doing everything right, I'm a tzaddik. If I'm not doing everything right, I'm a rasha. And if I'm doing half and half, I'm an Abeni. And that notion is really what the al is working against in this period. And he brings a number of... Different statements of our of the of gemaras Gim- and mishnah and zayher that all of them lead to a conclusion that we have to define tzaddik benany and russia differently. And again, so the the majority of the first chapter, different than most chapters in tanya, is citing a lot of different statements, quotes in gemaras, midrashim, all of them that are somewhat difficult to understand. And the alter rebbe weaves them together to give us what what is the tanya's tzaddik benany and russia. Okay, so that's the introduction to the first chapter. So let's, let's see, and I'm not going to read inside, but let's go through more or less in order of the paragraph. He starts off with a quote from the Gemara. And the Gemara says, it talks about when a neshama is born, when a person is born into the world, it says, mashbim also, as a neshama, as a soul descends from heaven, they make they administer an oath to the neshama, tehi tzadik v'al tehi rasha. As you enter into this world, you should be a tzadik and not a rasha. That's part one of the oath. Part two, even if everyone tells you you're a tzaddik, everyone looks at you, "Oh, that's Amish, a perfect tzaddik." Tehe be'enecha ki You should always look at yourself as if you are a Russian. That is that opener quote of Tanya. Okay, I'm sorry, it's a Gemara, but it's the it's the quote that Tanya begins with. In fact, as I said last week, the word Tanya means we learned. We learned in a brisa, and this is that teaching. Mashbi, and also we make the soul swear, he's going to be a Tzaddik, not a Russia. And again, and even if everyone thinks that you're going to be a Tzaddik, that you're, tells you you're a Tzaddik, you should look at yourself as a Russia. Just look, running out of battery over here. Where's the, right over there. Oh, they can't see me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the al asks on this a question. And he says, what is this business that we tell a person that you should always look at yourself as if you're a Russia. Doesn't sound very helpful, right? We, we tell the soul, no matter even if everyone tells you you're a tzaddik, you should look at yourself. You should always see yourself as if you're a Russia. In fact, in Pirke Avos, it says clearly, "Al Russia A person should not look at themselves as a Russia. Never. If a person thinks they're a Russia, typically, what uh, what effect will that have on the person? Um, it might depress a person. It'll either it will make a person depressed or it will make a person indifferent. I'm bad anyway. Right? So looking at ourselves as a russia doesn't seem to be like a helpful thing. So that's the opener question of Tanya. How could the Gemara tell, tell us that every soul is told as the soul is descending into this world that you should uh, try to be a sadic, don't be a russia, but always consider yourself a russia. How does it make sense to tell a person to consider himself a russia? This is point A. And obviously where this is leading is that Russia doesn't necessarily mean what we think Russia means. Okay, so we'll put that down as quote number one that opens up the discussion as to what really a Russia is. Then he brings another fascinating story in the Gimur. You know what, let me, let me um, parenthetically, I want to say something on the side. We, we learned that when a soul comes into this world, they make the soul swear to be a tzaddik. Now, why wouldn't the soul wants to be a tzaddik anyway? Why does the why does the soul have to be administered a new oath? The soul is going. The soul is, a, is holy. The soul is part of Hashem. So why would the soul is coming down into this world? Do they make it swear to be a tzaddik? The answer is because now it's coming into this world, right? It's it's going. The soul is getting involved in this world, in the world, in a body. Things are not so simple anymore. The word shvuah to swear also comes from the word lisboa to be filled, like of savata were filled. Really the soul is being filled with energies, with the kochos necessary to overcome and do whatever it has to do in this world. This is a general concept. Whenever Hashem brings us in a new place, He sends us into this world, into a new city, a new situation a life, we're always given on the onset the necessary kochos, the necessary abilities to accomplish and overcome whatever we need to. Okay, that was on the side. But back to us. So problem number one is what's the business with that we're supposed to look at ourselves as a Russia? Number two, there was one of the great sages in the Gemara. His name was Rabba. Rabba was one of the great Amoraim, one of the sages of the Gemara. Rabba once said to his disciples, he says, I think I'm a bainani. I'm a middle of the road type of guy. That's what Rabba said. Kagon Anna in Aramaic, someone like me is a Benini. Rabba had a disciple. His name was Abaye. Abaye turns to his rabbi and he says, if you're a Benini, what are all of us? Right, He says, all of us then are Rishon. You can't be a bainini, you're a Tzaddik. That was a dialogue between Rabba and Abaya in the Gemara. And the Alti ti asks the obvious question. What was Rabba thinking? If bainini means the simple understanding of Benini, which is someone who's you know half good, half bad, mitzvahs, averus, regular type of person, half and half, how could Rabba have mistaken himself to be a bainini? Rabba was indeed a perfect Tzaddik. Rabbah was such a perfect tzaddik that the Gemara has a fascinating event, a story. It says, one of the medrash um, agadita Gemaras, it says that in heaven there was an Allahic debate in the study halls of heaven, Mesifta de Rakiya it's called. And there was Allahic debate about certain intricate law in the laws of Tsaras, you know, about impurities and impurities. And in heaven they decided that the one who was going to decide that debate has to be a rav from this earth. So a big tzaddik in this world has to pass away. His time will come. He'll come to heaven and he'll ask him the question. And they said, who's the most, who's the most, um, the greatest authority on this? Rabbah. So they sent the Malach the angel of death, down to this world to bring Rabbah up to heaven. The angel of death comes to Rabbah. He can't approach him. Why can't he approach Rabbah? Because he never for a moment stopped studying Torah. He was always starting Torah, always involved in Kedusha. And the angel of death, the Malach had no ability to to get his hands on him. And the Gemara says he had to do the whole thing. He went out to the yard. I mean, there's something, and he made noise in the trees or whatever. And, and some, actually, no, no he, made, he made it sound like there were soldiers coming. Somehow, Rabba stopped learning Torah, and that's when Rabba passed away. A similar story with David, David Al Right, that's why I mix up the trees, right? David Malach has that story in Rabbah. But the point is, Rabbah is such a tremendous Sadiq that he never for a moment stops serving Hashem. How then could Rabbah with a straight face say I'm a benani? Right? It's not as if you know humility also has to make sense. Humility doesn't mean oh I, you know, I I'm 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 a ganef. You know, <laughs> if I'm not, I'm not. So this becomes another proof that benani means something else than what we think it does. But as I said, all of these different sightings that are being brought here, gemaras and so on, are to prove what the Alter is going to tell us about Sadik, Russia, and Beinany. Right. So again, we have the first thing about the Neshama coming into this world, told to be a Sadik, not a Russia, but to think that they're a Russia. Then we have the story of Rabbah who thinks he's a Beinany, which is of course hard to understand. Okay. Then he goes on, and he asks. Oh, then he goes on and asks. Um, really, how does this benany work? After all, when a person does an Avera, from a, from a, from a uh, halachic perspective, a person does an Avera, at that moment, they're wicked. Right? They went against Hashem. They transgressed Hashem's will. If they do tshuva, they're good. The, the Avera is wiped away, then they're a tzaddik. So, what's the half and half? How can I be half tzaddik and half not tzaddik? How does it really work when you think about a person if, you know, I'm either or. Either I'm with Hashem or I transgress. If I transgress, I can do tshuva. If I do tshuva, I get rid of the sin. If I don't do tshuva, the sinfulness is still there. So what is the benimi? And that's really what the question that he's building to. And the Alter comes to a conclusion based on all of the above and more. I didn't mention all of the steps. You know what? I'll, I'll mention one more because I skipped it. And that is EOV. Right, one of the books of Tanakh is Eov. Eov was famous for, he was the one who suffered, all types of suffering, and he, and he talks to Hashem, and he talks his heart out. One of the things Eov once said to Hashem was, and it's quoted again in the Gemara, he says, He says, Hashem, it's unfair that you reward and you punish. After all, you created certain people to be tzaddikim, and you created certain people to be rishonim. Barasa Tzadikim, Barasa Rishayim. You created people to be like this. You created people to be like this. It doesn't seem fear the system. Eov tells Hashem. So the Altarebbe asks on that, what did Eov mean? All of us know when it comes to Tzadik, being a Tzadik or a Rasha, we have freedom of choice. We have Bekhira Chavshis. Right? again, another Gemara. The Gemara says before a soul comes into this world, so an angel says this soul is going to be rich or poor, or you know, who, you know who they're going to marry and whatever. But one thing it doesn't say: will they be righteous or not righteous? Will they make good decisions or not? Bechira freedom of choice, is a foundation of our amuna. So what did Eov mean? Eov says Barasat Sadikim, Barasat Hashem, you created certain people to be a Sadik, certain people to be a Russia. Doesn't seem right. It seems he's making a basic mistake. Again. There's something here telling us that tzaddik and Russia means more than what meets the eye. Okay, so how many um, how many points did we mention in our tzaddik and Russia search so far? No. We talked about the neshama coming down from heaven and the promise, the oath, and thinking that looking themselves like a Russia. We talked about the story of Rabbah who called himself a beni, even though that doesn't seem to make any sense. We talked about the problem of when a person's sinning, they're a Russia when they're doing when they did shuva, they're a tzaddik. So where's the middle? And now we talk about the story of Eov, right? I'm not exactly in order, but all these points are made here in the first half of the first chapter. All of these tell us there's something deeper to the story. And therefore the Rebbe makes his big, uh, his first major statement of Tanya. And he says, he says, a bainani could be someone who's perfect in their mitzvahs. They do everything right and never do anything wrong. And that's still a bainani. So what we always thought, yeah, that's a tzaddik, right? If you do everything right, you're a tzaddik. The Alter Rebbe says, no. The Benini is the one who might be doing everything right. Okay, then why are they a benini? Or better ask, then what is a tzaddik? And here the Alter Rebbe tells us. He says, a tzaddik is someone who doesn't have a struggle anymore. The Benini is the struggler. This is, again, I guess the opener of Tani is famous for this statement that there's a different type of neshama, that there are certain people, and most people are not supposed to attain this and will never attain this, right? There are a few, there are some neshamas that Hashem puts into a generation to be the tzaddikim of a generation. There are certain neshamas like that, that have that ability to come to that place where there is no struggle anymore. Or as he quotes from David HaMalach in Tehillim, where David says, V'libhi khalal Bikirbi. What does that mean? Libi chalol bikirbi literally? My heart is hollow within me. Which means Davar Malach was saying that after he did so much tshuva and so much tshuva, so much tshuva, he came to a place where the Yetzirah just wasn't there anymore. Or to use the wording of Tanya, which is the wording of the Gemara, harago He had fasted so much and done so much tshuva that he had killed his Yetzirah. Wasn't there. That's a sign. But, but people which is the vast majority of people who struggle till the last day of their life with doing right, wrong, and they might do it right all the time. That is the Beninim. A Beninim is someone who is struggling with themselves in their life. And he goes on to say also that that's why the Medrash says that Which means Hashem saw, Hashem sees the whole history of the world ahead of him, and he saw there's not going to be many tzaddikim. And therefore he planted a few tzaddikim in every generation. Tzaddik Yisod Olam. There's the tzaddik who's the foundation of the generation. But it's not like most people are tzaddikim. Most people might do good things most of the time, all the time. A tzaddik is a different type of person. I'm sorry, I had a question. Isn't there a concept that if somebody gets higher in um, spirituality, their Yitzhahara gets stronger too? There is such a concept. Um, it says, Kal yitzro godol That whoever is greater than someone else has a greater Yitzhahara to sort of um, offset it. But that's not saying that a person can't come to a place where they got rid of that. That's what he's saying is if this person has so much cough so he has a big Yitzhahara as well and therefore it will be very, very difficult for this person to overcome the Yitzhahara. But at some point we have Davan Amalek saying ki He got rid of it. Okay? What uh, point does it say that for David Amalek because you know like he had struggles? Right. So that was his shuva. Mm-hmm. Davan Amalek said he did so much shuva over those struggles over those avera that he did so much um, shuva Uh huh. Okay, someone asked that we repeat the question that was asked because they didn't hear. The question that was asked was that it's written that a person who's greater than a friend, than another Yid, has a greater yitzharah, not a lesser yitzharah. So here we're saying that a tzaddik has no yitzharah. Seemingly, if a person is greater Sadik tzaddik, he should have a greater yitzharah. That was the question that was asked. And that's a good question. It's a correct question. And the idea, I believe the answer is, that that is... Before the avoda, in other words, before, when the tzaddik has the struggle, there's, the tzaddik's yitzhahara is a very big yitzhahara because he has such a great power. But ultimately, that tzaddik is able to totally vanquish that yitzhahara to a point like David Amalek said, there was no yitzhahara at all. So this becomes the key to go back and answer the various questions, the four points that we mentioned, but they're really not going to be answered till much later in Tanya. As we go through the chapters of Tanya and he explains the tzaddik and the bainini and all the steps, every so often he's going to come back to some of these points that we asked in this class. So basically, if you've been, if you're by this class tonight, you have to come to all 53 classes <laughs> because if you want your answers. Um, yeah, I don't mean to be threatening or anything but the after, I'm not kidding by the way he does that he, he comes back like in chapter 23 or 28 he comes back and says and now we'll understand that point from chapter 1 throughout the Tanya the answers are woven in right, it's, at some point I was, uh, I was teaching here in the girls high school and I, I would make a, a final on the entire Tanya for the girls for the 12th grader after, after learning 4 years so there was like this gammer big final So that was a big part of it. I want them to know from the beginning, so where is each question answered and how? They have to have the bigger picture. But But all of the answers are based on this concept that he right away said from the beginning, which is, again, a reframing of the Tzadik Benini in Russia. And perhaps the most important thing for us to remember then is because, as we said, this is called the Book of the Benini. It's really the book for the struggler. That's the Benini. The regular, average Yid who struggles. Now, Some of, some strugglers win most of the time. Some win some of the time, some, you know, but everyone is, that's us. We're people who are struggling to do the right thing and we have the two sides of the coin, okay? So that's what he opens, that's sort of the opener which takes us into the second page of Tanya. If someone's using a Tanya, we're on the second page or, and by the colon, which is a little more than halfway down the page. Can I just ask one quick sure. thing? Is, is a Benoni, you're saying, is a very, it could be a wide range of so, or? so the the perfect Benoni is the one who always struggles and always overcomes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know who will attain, who gets the Benoni plaque, it's one who overcomes every struggle. Does everything right. So they're still a Benoni because they're always struggling, but they always get it Right? Right. I'm going to venture to say most people don't always get it right. But they still fall under that category of the person who's struggling to be in that place. What's the lowest level of Beinoni? Like where where do you teeter into Russian category? (laughs) (laughs) So that's a good question. So there's there's different, on a very technical level, as soon as you did something wrong, so for that moment you're a Russian until you do tshuva. But as long as you're still someone who's going to bounce back and struggle again and do tshuva and work more, so you're going to fall into the broader category. So, as we said, the book is called the book of the Bainani. It's not just for the few perfect people, you know, walking around who never fail a struggle. The book is the book of the Bainani because the book of all who struggle, who are yearning, who are desiring to be the perfect bainani. So our avoda in life is to try to attain that level of being the one who overcomes. I'll overcome again. I'll overcome again. I'll Over again. I'll fall, but I'll get back into the game, and I'll overcome again. And that's that's most people. The vast majority of people, right? I mean, you have someone who's got, gotten such be such a Russia that they don't even know there's a struggle anymore. That that's, but that's I, I think is quite uncommon. And clearly, the Book of Tanya is written for Klal Yisrael, for people like us, like everyone, who struggles, and some, again, are closer to that perfect and some a little further, but that's sort of the goal of a regular yid. Okay? So, after having given us this, you know, foundational approach, he says, okay, but now let's really explain how this works and what creates the struggle and what are we struggling for. What's the deeper part of the story? So he starts by saying, to explain all of this, and he bases, really, all the rest of Tanya on the following statement. A teaching of the Arizal. The Arizal was this primary Mukubal Kabbalist who lived somewhat 450 years ago in Sfas. and is the, the authority of Kabbal. You have, I guess, there's Rok and Bar Yochai, he wrote the Zohar some 18, 19, 1,900 years ago. And then you have the Arizal. And, and then many others, but I'm talking about the ultimate authorities. And the Arizal, who didn't actually write any of his teachings, it was his foremost disciple, Rabbi Chaim Vital. Rabbi Chaim Vital wrote all the teachings of the Arizal in what's commonly known as the Kisveho Ari, the writings of the Ari, or they're known um, as the Eitzchayim or the pre Chaim. These are this, it's really a big set of sferim, and they're all the writings of Reb Vital who was writing over the teachings that he received from his master the Arizal. To be sure the Arizal had a number of great disciples. Um, in fact, it's interesting. The Arizal is called the Ari which means the, the lion, the great lion. Um, he's called Ari because Ari stands for Adunenu Rabbi Yitzchak, our master Rabbi Yitzchak. But he's also called the lion because of his greatness. His disciples were called the Cubs. The lion's cubs, right? It's especially important in Chicago, right? But they were called in Hebrew the gurim, the gurim, the, uh, the cubs of the lion. So there was a, a number of tzaddikim, great tzaddikim, all of them. And yet, Biarizal only allowed one of them to be his, I don't know the right word, his scribe, the one who's going to give over his Torah. So the Alt Rebbe says, he says, we'll understand all this. Vital According to Rabbi Chaim Vital writes, in Shar HaKedusha, which is one place, and he also wrote it in Chaim. All these are books of the Arizal. And he says that every Jewish person has two souls. This is where Tanya really started. That all of us are made up of two souls. He bases it on a pasuk in Yeshaya, which says, ani God says, I made souls. But until the Arizal, when, when Yeshaya said, I made souls, we thought it means No, one soul for me, one for you, one for him, one for her, many souls. But the Arizal said, no, every person has nishamos, has two souls within them. One is a soul of holiness, a soul of godliness, and one is the other soul. Which comes from, and here we have some basic Hasidic terminology that's really important to know. The second soul comes from Klippa and Sitra Achara. The word klipa means literally means a shell a klipa is a shell and klipa is used for anything that's unholy really because anything unholy is a shell surrounding holiness everything has holiness somewhere because it's part of Hashem's world but if the klipa if the shell is there and the stronger and the bigger the shell is the more that holiness is concealed sitra is Aramaic for the other side that's what it means. The sitra achra is Aramaic, the other side. So klipa and sitra achra go together. It's the other side, which is klipa, and this is the second, really the first soul. We'll see soon. There is, we have the, the godly, holy soul and the soul of klipa and sitra achra. What is the common name for this second soul that we have? And I'm sorry, I'm going to correct myself. Really, the godly soul is the second soul. We'll discuss that. The first soul is the klipa soul. The klipa and Sitrachra, the unholy soul. What are the common Tanya names for this unholy soul? <laughs> so, most famous probably is Nefesh Habahamis, which means animal soul. What's another name for it? The Nefesh Hativis, which means the natural soul. And a third name, also a Tanya name for the same soul, is Nefesh hachiyunis, Yunis, which literally means the vital soul. The soul of our vitality, the soul that gives us, that we live with, that we actually physically live with, that is this soul. Important to remember, these three names are interchangeable throughout Tanya. They're always talking about the same soul, though they're focusing on different aspects of the soul. So again, the animal soul, the natural soul, the vital soul. All of this is soul number one within us. And then there's the godly soul. This is what the Arizal said, that we're made up of two souls. And what's very important, and a point we're gonna come back to as we go through Tanya, Bezra, Hashem, is what was the foundational teaching of the Arizal? After all, everyone always knows that a person has a Yetzir Tov and Yetzir Hara, good inclination, bad inclination. Every person has a good inclination, bad inclination, Jew and non-Jew alike. Right, every person has a struggle. Do I do the right thing, do I do the wrong thing? It's not a Jewish concept to struggle and everyone knows about Yetzir Tov and Yitzhak Hara, what did the Arizal bring to the fore? What was his chidush, what was his novelty? His novelty is that it wasn't just two consciences, but it's two entire souls. It's as if there's two entire people living within one body. And that's really what we are. We're not just one person, one me, and I have a good voice and a bad voice, one voice saying do good, one voice saying do bad. Rather, there's two me's that shear this one body. A totally godly entity that's holy from top to bottom, a totally animal, vital, natural me. And each one has its own thinking system and its own emotions and its own expressions and its own thought, speech, and deed. As we will learn throughout Tanya, this is what the Arizal told us. And that was news. And, and that was, that was, it's still news when we think about it how deeply the Arizal sees the two beings that shear one body that's within each and every one of us, which sometimes sounds a little bit schizophrenic, and it's not that wrong that we're sometimes a little schizophrenic because there's two totally different types of entities that both live within each and every one of us. This was the novelty that the Arizal said that are Haim Vital recorded and that the Alter Rebbe uses really as the basis of the next, really, the whole Tanya. Talking about the struggle and the battle of the two souls that coexist within ourselves. Yes? Just talk loud because there's people trying to hear I also. Was, I, I don't know how relevant. I, I, I'm just wondering, before the Arisal introduced this, like, how did Yidin live? Like, what did they think? They knew about the Yidzer Tehid and the Sahara but the Kiddush was just that it's it's actually deeper than that. It, uh, it's it's an Eshamah we're talking about. I think it's not so. two different voices. Like, I mean, how... So, I don't know exactly. I wasn't around then, right? Um, you have to understand also, it's not like the Arizal made something up out of nowhere. The Arizal had this from his sources of Kabbalah, but Kabbalah wasn't learned by the masses, right? Rabbi Bar Barichai was 1,500 years before the Arizal. And there always were great Mekubalim in Klal Yisrael, whether it was the Ramban, or I mean, there was great Mekubalim, but it was something that was kept to the very few. The Arizal opened it up. The Arizal was the one who said, that nowadays, as you come closer to Mashiach, and this is a few hundred years ago, he says, legalos Now it's a mitzvah to reveal this chachma that was hidden until this point. But the Arizal was receiving this. He was in receipt. But you're asking all the people who didn't know Kabbalah at all and wasn't taught to them, how did they understand it? I can't talk for anyone, but it would seem the, re- the regular way of yetzer tov, yetzer good voice, bad voice, inc- good inclination, bad inclination, and struggle. Which works. I mean, it does work, basically. Um, this is obviously much deeper and explains things a lot more foundationally within ourselves, how it works. But yeah, before Kabbalah, Chassidus Tanya, that was sort of the, the basic understanding of the two voices. So, um, in the remainder, the remaining last part of this first chapter of Tanya, the Atul talks a little bit about the first soul, which is again, the animal soul, the vital soul, the natural soul. And it's important to say, is the animal soul bad? No. Are animals bad? No, not something bad about it. It's just animalistic. What does animalistic mean? It's not God-centered. It's not about Hashem. It's about self-centered. Is self-centeredness bad? Well, it's, it's, it's natural. Naturally, everyone cares for themselves, takes care of themselves. Naturally, we put ourselves in the front for better or for worse. There's good things, there's good slice to that as well. It's not God-centered. The basic difference between the animal soul versus the godly soul is that the godly soul is about Hashem. It's about godliness. It's about being, it's about the, the will of Hashem uh, being um, one with Hashem, nullified Hashem. That's the godly soul. The animal soul is our basic natural structure of a regular human being. And from there, as he says here in Tanya, comes all of our midos, the animal soul. Comes all of our animalistic midos. Right? The non-godly. The basic animal midos of a person. And first he talks about the negative midos, but he says also positive midos can come from our animal soul. Specifically a Jewish animal soul. But that, for today we're talking about a Jewish, the Jewish souls. Right? So he says... And he, he breaks down very interestingly our negative Midos structure. And he talks about the four Yisodos, the four basic foundations that are written about in all Sfarim and going back even old scientific work that everything breaks down to four elements. What are the four elements that he talked about? Um, eish, Ruach, Mayim, and ofar, Right? Eish is heat or fire. Ruach is air or wind or gas. Mayim is liquids or water. And Ofar is dust, dirt right? The, the solid uh, entity. And in, a, in some metaphysical way, that's also the makeup of the animal soul. And he talks about the different types of midos that come from each one of these four. He says, ash, fire, which is something that rises upward, is like anger or arrogance. These are the parts of us that we make us feel, it rises, it makes us uh, excited and... Uh, um, it, it's uh, something that's inflating. It inflates ourselves, and that's where anger comes from, and that's where arrogance comes from. So that's the um, that's the fire. He talks about desires. It's connected to water. Okay, I mean, he says, That's something that uh, the water gives forth, all different types of pleasures. Um, he talks about silliness and boasting and just... Uh, things that have no value or no meaning whatsoever, that comes from the ruach, that's like the ear or the gases. He talks about depression um, coming from afar, from the dirt that, that sinks to the bottom, depression or um, laziness, these types of just lack of energy type of feelings. All of these are obviously neg- negative midos. And these are the basics of the animal soul. But, he says, the animal soul can also have good midos from it like kindness. Sometimes even from an animalistic perspective, we can be kind to another. Um, especially by yid, there's kindness, there's rahmanas, which is mercifulness. Um, these are positive midas. But whether we're talking about positive midos or we're talking about negative midos, we're talking about feelings that are ultimately self-centered. And that is why it's the animal soul. And it's the natural way that we wake up in the morning, a child, a child is the natural tendencies. But right? naturally a child from a young age is selfish. Right? Child, was what, what 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 are one of the first words that most children know how to say is mine. Right? And they look out of themselves. It's an, it's not even there's nothing wrong. If a child would be different, there'd be something wrong. That's the natural basic self-centeredness, which is important for growth even. And that is the Nefesh HaBahamis, the animal soul within a Yid. Important to say one last point that I didn't mention yet, that although we said this soul comes from Sitra Achra, which is the other side, and we said this soul comes from the Klippa, which is the shell, but in Klippa alone, something that will be talked about much more later, there's two basic types of Klippa, two basic types of unholiness. And that is a clepa that can be Transform for the positive, and one that can't, known as klipas noga. Klipas noga is the klipa that can be used positively and brought into kedusha. And then there's what's called the three negative klipos. Again, we'll talk about that Bezra Hashem later at length. But that is something that's um, that really can't be transformed under nor- under normal circumstances. So the animal soul that's within us comes from which klipa? from the better klipa, the klipah snoga, It's something that could be used positive, positively. Right? Our animal soul is not doesn't have to be sinful. Our animal soul can actually enjoy mitzvahs. We can bring our animal soul to a place of enjoying mitzvahs. And we could bring it to a place where it enjoys all types of holy stuff. But its natural state is not that way. Its natural state is being an animalistic, natural, and self-centered soul. Yes? What does it mean that it comes from klipa? It means that kedusha, that its holiness, is not apparent in it. It's, not, it's coming direct from Hashem. It's like, like so, we learn about the Aharaim or, you know, something. But it's is, is there a klipa of Hashem, or that it comes down and then is covered so up? So a- everything in this world comes from Hashem, and everything means everything. Even the worst things in this world are also created from Hashem. And that's something that's very, very unique to, to Yiddishkeit, and it's it's a very important perspective to have, especially going through difficult times and, and so on like we are now, that in this world, everything comes from Hashem. It's just a question of how much is Hashem revealed in that which is coming from Him, and how much is He concealed. And those klippas Hashem created. Hashem created the shells, and Hashem created the coverings. And there's so much about it. That's the simt and that's the achorayim that you mentioned. So Hashem gives off Things or creations or energies that are going to be blocked and covered over and covered over. Some of them are so blocked and so covered over that Hashem says we have no way of dealing with them positively, and they have to be destroyed. And that's our way of correcting them. There's such a concept of something that's came down to such a place of badness that the way to elicit whatever goodness there is is by destroying. Amalek, right? But then and then and then you have the Gimel Kribasat Meis, which was not Amalek, but things that is forbidden. Right? If there's forbidden food, it's forbidden. I can't decide, well, I'll transform it. I'll use it positively. It's forbidden. But then you have all the things that are permitted, but not on their own holy. And that's up to us to elicit and transform and find the holiness within them. So our animal soul falls into that category. It's animalistic. It's selfish. It's self-centered. And therefore, it's not holy, which means the holiness is very much covered over, very much... Um, surrounded by that shell, and yet it's noga, which means that we have the ability to use it and transform it and elicit, and that's actually not just an ability, but that's a major purpose of what we're doing in this world, is to transform and bring kedusha into those areas.
1: So we're born with klipas, like
0: no one question. That we no question. We well, no question. Now we might, we may take on to make them worse than they were at birth, mm-hmm. because of certain behaviors and actions. The klipas that we have at birth might become tougher and more difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. But the concept of klipas there, even before the godly soul, and that's what, as we're going to conclude in a moment, the second chapter, which we do next, week God willing, begins with the second soul. That's the godly soul. But it's, it's very telling that that's called the second soul. And we'll talk about that next week. Because the natural one, the one that the day we're born, we feel. And also when we wake up in the morning, the one that we right away know is there, is our animal soul. Right? Most people don't wake up in the morning with a tremendous thirst for davening. Right? That's, that's step two, after I remember. But my first thirst is for physical things because that's the way we are. It's not our fault. That's the way Hashem created us. So that's the first soul within man of the two that the Arizal said, and then we'll go on to the second soul in Peric Beis, which we'll do God really next week. Uh, it over? Yes.